0: Greetings. Welcome to the sound plays of Traversity, Demons and Demigods, book two of the series, A Bridge of Doom. Here we continue the tales shared in book one. If this is your first visit to the Harkin Theater, we recommend you step back, switch to season one, and find the first episode of Prelude, The Hostage Prince. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, share, and follow on your favorite platform. We'd love to hear from you. Simply send comments, compliments, and questions to our email. If you care to help in keeping these complex theatrical productions coming, it's very easy. Just buy me a coffee via the website coffee.com, listed with a description of each episode. Except for those preferring to remain anonymous, we will gladly announce you as a benefactor in the final credits of each episode. And thank you truly for listening. Step through the gateway and enter the universe of the Harkin Theater. This is episode one. Demons and Demigods. The Journeys of an Enchanter. Chapter 1 Gaewan looked with concern out the windows of the tavern. Mm. The night seemed oppressive, almost corporeal, on the verge of spilling into the room. No lanterns could be seen outside, the tavern seemingly adrift in a sea of black. Then he was distracted by the jostling of his companions and raised his drink in merry salute to his friends sitting around him. They responded in kind, and everyone laughed joyfully. The tavern great room was friendly and warm, safe in the cheery light of hearth and candles. Yet the enchanter felt an eldritch foreboding as he sensed the pressure of the darkness outside. Only Flaina seemed to notice his concern. Out of the liquid night stepped an ethereal form. It stopped for a moment and wavered before stumbling into the tavern. A man with dark skin, his face clenched in pain, his hand clutched to his gut. Looking around anxiously, he spied the enchanter and his eyes lighted with hope. He staggered over and stood before him. None of Gaewan's friends seemed to notice the strange man who reached out.
1: Help us, Galan. The dynasty's hope is threatened.
0: The enchanter could only sit and stare. This man looks like Paul, yet he has elfin ears. Within his transparent form, he could see a crimson and black worm writhing and twisting its way through his gut toward his chest, slowly devouring his viscera. With distress, Flena looked at her Chosen, wondering what he saw. Gawon reached out his hand to take the Dark Man's. The instant he touched, pain lanced, then boiled through his body. <gasps> Crushing weight bore down on his chest, his heart laboring suddenly under the pressure, a throbbing overtaking his ears. What's wrong? Clough... Thasgar, Gan, and Ablui finally stopped their carousing and looked at their companion as he gasped in agony, a hand to his chest. The dark man was gone. A small demon had taken his place, its mouth clamped on his hand. A long, poison-covered fangs stabbed into his flesh. Nawan jumped up from his seat and tried to fling the gruesome thing off, but it only grinned and sank its teeth in further as it slurped his blood hungrily. He dropped to his knees, his aching arm paling as blood was sucked irresistibly out of his veins. The demon expanded like a monstrous tick.
1: Oh, God. What, what is it?
0: Terrified, Flayna was at his side, trying to hold him, yet unable to see what it was that devoured him. Louis stood, his hands reaching out, radiating light toward Gaewan as he chanted the ancient name. Clough's sword was out of its sheath and burned with blue fire as the elf swung it through the air around Gaewan's emaciated arm, cutting into the bloated, foul leech. Mm. Gawan awoke to the groaning of his own voice. The sensations from the nightmare lingered for an instant, then withdrew like gossamer curtains of shadow as he took possession of his awareness. The room was dark, the waning blue-green moon having long since set. Only stars burned coldly in the night sky beyond the window. He reached out reflexively, his hand coming to rest on Flaina's hip. She laid on her side next to him, and she awoke gently.
1: Mm. What's wrong, love?
0: Not receiving an immediate answer made her sit up. one. I don't know. A nasty dream. Flana rubbed some of the sleep out of her eyes. Mm.
1: Do you want to tell me about it?
0: Staring out the window at the stars, Severance. he described everything as well as he could. Flana suppressed several shudders and considered what oh. was happening along with the apparition that had visited them earlier in the night, an image of Paul, a demigod who pleaded for help. Almonds were of something being very wrong with the Prince of Light.
1: Hasn't Gawon been through enough?
0: She shook off the arguments and her displeasure with whatever higher powers found purpose in haunting her promised mate in this way. The emptiness in his eyes chilled her even further, and she put her arms around him, more for her own comfort at first. As he responded, she pulled his head to her breast.
1: Night makes monsters out of shadows. Put it aside for now. Just let me hold you.
0: They snuggled down under the covers, entwined in each other's arms.
1: Where's Glink?
0: She realized she hadn't noticed the small mudcat in his usual sleeping places. She lifted her head and scanned the room. The lack of moonlight allowed her night vision its full potential, and she easily located ward wardmate huddled in a corner.
1: Glink? What's wrong?
0: He must have shared in my nightmare. Unusual. I didn't think we had gotten so close in our thoughts. The half-elf slipped her arms from around her Chosen, got out of bed, and gingerly approached the ball of fur with wary eyes. Glink? No. Gaewan was beside Flena before she knew it. He is frightened, just like I was. He knew it would be foolish to deny his fear, especially with his wardmate betraying his feelings. Don't move. Glink has no one to help dissipate the effects of the dream, except me, and I have inadvertently neglected him. As he opened himself inwardly, he was thrown off balance by Glink's fright and anger. For a moment, it was as if the floor had lurched, and he reached out to Flaina for support. <sighs> What's wrong? Consider being frightened to death, but not experiencing the sensation until you were out of danger. He rubbed his face in a futile effort to shake off the sensation, then knelt before his wardmate. Distort your senses. The mudcat's eyes burned with fury. Unable to penetrate Glink's barrier of extreme emotion with his thoughts, Gaewan wondered what to do. Then a memory tugged at him. He had opened his arms to a lost and injured cat, wardmate to Master Enchanter Rothson And he remembered that creature's pain. He cleared his mind and allowed all of Glink's feelings to wash through him. In the next moment, the mudcat leaped onto his shoulders and wrapped itself snugly around his neck, then released a long yowl in feline catharsis. It's all right, my friend. We are safe now. He discovered that his back and throat itched suddenly. He had opened himself to Glink so completely, he was feeling reflections of the cat's physical sensations. Without another thought, he scratched his ward mate's back and stroked his chin. The itchiness went away. Is he all right? Now he is, yes.
1: It was scary seeing him like that.
0: Obviously, it was more than a dream. It was a resonance from the universe. Mm. Flana remembered some of what she had read in the beginning lessons of enchant. Like ripples in a pond. Mm. Realizing they were both standing naked in the starlight, sparked warmth in his loins, and he pulled her close, running his hands along her warm skin and feeling her flesh yielding to his embrace. Mm. The living stole resting on his shoulders purred in response to the affection. Gaewan lifted Flana into his arms ripples, yes, but there's nothing I can do about it right now, except go back to bed. She stroked Glink with one hand and scratched Gawon's scalp with the other. Ah.
1: I don't know who needs scratching more. Hmm.
0: Depends on what kind of itch needs scratching. He carried her back to the blankets. Glink hopped off his shoulders and curled up happily on a pillow. Ah! Gaewan placed Flaina gently on the bed, then settled himself down next to her and pulled the covers over them. Mm, there was a deep wound in his mind from the nightmare, and he decided sharing love with her would ease the pain. Sensing this, she moved herself on top of him. Oh. Gaewan lightly stroked her ears, arousing her. Yes... cheerful bird song lifted Gaewan out of sleep, and he eased his eyes open to sunlight pouring through their window. Licking his lips, he puzzled over the swiftly evaporating dream images that had visited after their love-sharing and, after a moment, decided they were of little consequence, unlike his nightmare of earlier. <sighs> Plena lay snuggled close, her arm across his chest, her head beside his on the pillow. Mm. The energy of their physical passions had indeed melted the dagger of ice that had been left in his awareness after the horrible dream of an elfin-eared Paul and the monster bloodsucker. In its place rested a realization that what made the experience so frightening was the sensation of powerlessness an inability to help neither the pleading dark-skinned man nor himself. It had taken the intervention of Ablui and Clough in his dream to somehow allow him to escape back to the waking world. If this was a prophecy of what lay in wait for him wherever Paul was, he wondered how it would be possible to gain the comfort and security of his companions whilst separated from them by an ocean and probably more. The last he had seen of Paul and his lady, Marie, they had been in the royal healing chambers of the palace in Forum. Despite arguing the metaphysical problems surrounding the defeated threat of specters, he felt they had parted as friends. His immediate problem was finding Paul, something that had required the talents of a royal messenger armed both with Rothson's transfer key and the specific training in how to use it. The most he knew about the Prince of Light was that he had traveled, or been magically transferred, a very great distance from some other land. Where this land was had never been discussed, nor was it known within any accessible circles for Gawon, if it had ever been for anyone. Despite Paul's famous rescue of the crown prince, and his subsequent return to claim and rescue his lady from the specter's death sentence he was still regarded as a mythical being, with roots and history that were, at best, extremely obscure. Any written knowledge had been lost in the mysterious destructive forces of the Great Holocaust 1400 Riyads ago. Firestorms that devoured these lands and sent the forefathers of men sailing in search of a new home across the ocean and unexplored regions. The enchanter supposed that there might be some knowledge or reference to the Prince of Light hidden in the scrolls and books of the secret chamber beneath the Magian Alliance Athenium, but the prospect of digging through hundreds, if not thousands, of tomes in the gloom of the underground vault was not attractive in the least, nor did he believe he had the luxury of time for the necessary research. Paul's plea was desperate to have reached Gawain in both the waking and dream states. The sensation of Flaina's breath caressing his shoulder lent the feeling of safety within his immediate world of their room above the tavern, mm. and he stroked a finger lovingly over her cheek. Mm-hmm. She shifted beside him, but did not awaken. Deciding his ruminations and fidgets would unfairly lift her from her own dreams, He slipped out from under her arm and got out of their bed. A faint tingle of autumn chill danced with the sunbeams in the air wafting from the open window. He tugged on his breeches and short tunic, then reached to the bed table and gathered in his fingers the medallion with its snake-link chain. Rubbing it absently with a thumb as if to polish it, He went to the window and looked out upon the town below, and the horizon beyond its boundary walls. How much simpler it must be for a warrior and their chosen weapon. Hmm. He envied Clough and Thasgar with their swords, the solid feel of their sharpened edges, the balanced weight of their hilts. To possess a well-crafted tool with which to meet others in joist or battle. To fight and to defend oneself, an anchor for the consciousness. A blade to wield, a polished metal surface to stroke, a glistening sharp edge to brush lightly, a solid handle on one's survival, one's destiny. But what touchstone is there for a practicing enchanter? What tool can I hold in my hand, touch with my fingers? Lowering eyes from the sun's lifting above the tree line at the town's boundary, he regarded the mystic hemispherical medallion resting in his palm, its glistening chain disappearing between his fingers and dangling carelessly beneath. It resembled his cloak's medallion clasp and, to the vulgar eye, would be considered nothing more than a similar trinket, its bluestone inlay just a random pattern of the Jewelsmith's imagination. Yet, an enchanter or a mage would recognize it as something much more valuable simply because of the bluestone patterns even if they couldn't be immediately deciphered. Gawan recognized the symbols for protection and for travel the protection ciphers empowered the talisman as a shield against the viler creatures wizards and warlocks were wont to employ demons and their ilk. With focused intent and the spoken keyword, the talisman became a mystical key, enabling the wearer to transfer themselves, actually travel instantly from one point to another along the invisible grid of power meridians. Thusly, one could jump across the entire world in the wink of an eye. The difficult part for the neophyte in such practices was finding power nodes and knowing where one was going to end up. Fortunately, Paul's call for help is strong and will have left behind a resonant pathway for me to follow, else locating him would be a daunting task indeed. He wondered how Rothson had guided Marie, then reasoned the master enchanter probably had delved into the Silver Council's Athenium and Forum to study the histories they preserved from the times before the firestorms, histories no doubt destroyed in the fires that consumed his private chambers when he was killed by the specters. Now Gaewan had to follow a path that had been trod before, but without a specific idea where he was to arrive. Just where is the Prince of Light's kingdom? He was apparently known to the people of this kingdom before the firestorms, therefore he must reside somewhere on or near Felstar. He noted that the moment he invoked the transfer key's powers, all his questions would be answered. Retrieving his crystal from its pouch, He held it before his eyes and sought Paul's image. At first, the crystal did not respond, as if its mystic powers were suddenly inert. Then the prismatic reflections shifted, darkened. All he could make out was a churning cloud of murk with fractured impressions of what might be Paul. Hmm. Shaking his head slowly, he lowered the stone and looked back to the sky. When Flaina woke to the cheerful light of the morning suns, she discovered to her dismay Gaewan absent from her side. She had expected the long night of visitation, nightmare, and love-sharing to have helped him sleep well into the morning. Rolling over beneath the blanket, she found him dressed in his breeches and tunic, looking out the window, relieved that he had not left her to wake alone she remained silent and luxuriated in the lingering glow from their intimacy, until she saw the medallion of Rothson in one hand, the dragon crystal in the other. Suddenly all the warmth dissipated in the cold vacuum of the knowledge that very soon he would be undertaking the difficult task of finding and aiding the Prince of Light without her at his side. She sat up, pulled on her chemise, and got out of bed. Part of her wanted to wail.
1: Please don't go. I don't want to lose you.
0: At the same time, her self-reliance chastised her for seeming so weak and dependent.
1: Gaywan doesn't want to leave either, but has no choice. The last thing he needs is for me to cry all over him.
0: Though this thought didn't help to ease the shadow over her heart, she found comfort in the fact that he needed her to be strong. The enchanter seemed oblivious to her approach as he stared intently out at the sky. Deciding she didn't want to interrupt his train of thought, the half-elf simply stood behind him and waited. What are you thinking? Apparently he sensed both her presence and her question in the same moment. When I scried with my crystal for Paul, I could not see him exactly. The fact that I saw something other than nothing is proof of his continuing existence. But the images would not coalesce.
1: What can this mean?
0: He turned to face her. Many things, but at least he is out there somewhere. My intuition senses that I am being prevented from seeing him by some other force, perhaps by that which causes him such distress as to call out. A
1: demigod calling to a mortal for help? Doesn't make sense.
0: Gawan's eyebrows lifted as he considered her observation. Mm, true, but by definition, a demigod is merely a soul granted spiritual powers that to others seem godlike. Paul, from what I know of him, is not a god in any sense of the word any more than any of us, being sparks of the supreme deity, are gods in our own right. A man who can assume the form of a bird or beast is simply a shape changer. Were-beings such as me and Oblui are neither demigods nor immortal. Nor were Rolf and Gunther. Flana remembered the evil were-rats. Mm. He nodded and pulled her close, stroking his hand down her back, mm. then kissed her hair, enjoying her scent. She wanted to lose herself in his affectionate touch, but couldn't allow herself the luxury, knowing he needed help resolving this problem.
1: Can you find him using Rothson's key? I believe so.
0: Marie was able to find him, and she is neither mage nor enchanter. She was guided by Rothson, wasn't she? Aye, but he didn't accompany her. Oh. This was a new fact. Like most people in the kingdom, Flana knew the tale of Prince Kajor's famous rescue by the giant eagles and Marie. But the particular details of Rothson's involvement were not known. Like
1: Good Wife Gossip... There are so many variations of the tale that it is impossible to know anything specific.
0: Artists had immortalized the event with erroneous paintings and tapestries of the Golden Eagles fighting the Grims, and images of Marie in battle armor flinging spears, and the Crown Prince holding a golden sword aloft as he directed an army of birds in their attack on the lizards. Regardless of the artwork and the stories, Anariak Kajor was rescued and brought home, ascended the throne when his father died, and his rescuers quickly
1: forgotten. Are you sure I cannot accompany you?
0: Gaiwan looked pained as, with irritation, he drummed fingers on the windowsill. No, I am not. The methods for traversing great distances along the power meridians of the world are haphazard for the inexperienced, which I am right now. The few references he had found had been helpful to the point of how to activate the enchantment, but didn't explain the energies involved and what effect they would have on the user. It's one thing to soul travel, move with mere thought, as the freethinkers teach, on the inner planes where you have a body that corresponds with the plane you are on. Quite another to actually move the outer body to another place in the same fashion, when one has grown up using feet, and horses, and carriages, and boats. Flana watched as he argued with himself, unresolved, and suddenly felt bad for having pressured him to take her along.
1: True. It's best if you do this first journey on your own.
0: He nodded reluctantly. Uh, Unhappily, I agree with you, much as I prefer the contrary. Finally tearing his gaze away from the outside world, he looked upon his promised mate. (sighs) So, I suppose I'm to be away. Flana knew his words were mere bravado, his way of damning the consequences and jumping into the unknown. For some reason, she found this quirk attractive, and she couldn't help smiling at him. Hmm. Gawon deciphered her thoughts and grimaced with embarrassment. (laughs) Damn. Who am I trying to fool? Certainly not you. She reached out her
1: hand and stroked his cheek. I will be with you, Kewan. You've proven that already. Though we know not where you will be, I will be within the protection of this land and our friends. Calron is no longer a threat.
0: Never believe that, love. His eyes hardened for an instant. As long as he lives, he will be a threat to us all.
1: Even with Trimble's disenchantment over him?
0: Yes, even though he languishes in the marshal's lockup, I will remain wary until sentence is passed and he is dead.
1: That's your nature, love. Always cautious where the known exists, but never where the unknown lurks. Recognizing her statement
0: as pure truth, he nodded ruefully as he took her hand in his troubled with the possibility that he might not be able to return from this unknown land of Paul's. This is very different, and I will be very careful. I want to come home to you. She grabbed his other hand, her fingers entwining with his around the talisman of Rothson.
1: You can't get away from me that easily, Enchanter. Marie came back. You, too, will come back.
0: Gaewan pulled her into a fierce hug. Gods, I hope so. <music> rest now. He had to think, find a way to escape before the royal magistrate made his regular stop in Hopetown to pass judgment on all accused criminals awaiting trial. Calron harbored no illusions concerning his guilt. In the age-old tradition of executing mages, sentence would be passed, and he would be bound in chains, paraded before the commoners. They would cheer and shout instantaneously, and rotted food at him.
1: Then beheaded with an axe, and his body burned to ash. Not while I still breathe. He
0: stopped and, with hate, surveyed the dry, tight walls
1: of the lockup. Such an unassuming name for a dungeon. The
0: cells. The stones were a double hand span in size, the mortar bonding them thick and firm with no sign of deterioration. The door was a hand span in thickness, constructed of three layers of greatleaf wood, impenetrable to the largest axe, with only a small window latticed by iron bars. Whoever constructed the fortress dungeon didn't want any chance of prisoners escaping. Sounds wafted down the corridor. Someone was coming. Knowing better than to try and escape this soon, he sat on the floor and did his best to portray the image of a defeated man. Let them think they have beaten me. More often than not, the captors grew lax in their vigilance. cell then squinted at the deputy standing there. Supper time, mage. The muscle-bound young man dropped a sack on the floor as a short sword flashed in his hand. Satisfied that his prisoner wasn't going to move, he leaned over and checked the chamber pot. Hmm. As he glared subtle dislike at the deputy, movement behind the fellow caught Calron's eye, and his vision adjusted enough to make out the unlikely silhouette of a young girl. The deputy loomed before him again, blocking his view. Seen enough, Delcie. The fair-haired girl stepped to the side and peered into the cell, her brown eyes round with curiosity. Still sitting tailor-fashioned on the stone floor, Calron met her gaze directly. She looked away, obviously embarrassed, then summoned the courage to look at him again. He smiled secretly. If nothing else, he had a way with women, no matter what age. Delcy glanced up at her father, nodded hurriedly, and that was the last Calron saw of them as the door was shut. Was that really a mage, father? Aye, my girl. That there's a mage. And a nasty one at that.
1: How bad is he, father?
0: Well, let me tell you about. When the corridor had fallen silent again, Calron reached for the sack and dug into it with mild interest, finding some fruit and bread and cold cooked meat along with a water skin. If nothing else, at least the marshal took care of his prisoners, even those accused of murder and due to meet the executioner's axe. Tearing off a <laughs> hunk of bread and chewing on a portion of it, he contemplated the young girl. The last time he had been under the marshal's thumb, it was a good wife that had taken pity on him and released him from the pillory late one night. Perhaps the dark powers had provided him with yet another woman from whom to compel
1: his freedom. <laughs>
0: The wood was strangely quiet as Gawon and Flana picked their way along the forest floor between the thick bones. His ward mate bounded along behind them in merry chase. And yet, the day itself was invigorating, the azure sky as clear as crystal, the winds sweeping strong through the overhead branches. It was a short time before midday, one of the times Rothson designated for invoking the powers of the Talisman, the other times being midnight and the midstroke of dawn and sunset when only one sun was above the horizon. In his practice under Mage Trimble's tutelage, he had learned the location and uses of the stone circles left behind by their ancestors. The fact of stone circles having existed on the young continent long before present-day men had discovered and settled it was a source of continual speculation among the more learned. Who had erected them? What had been their purpose? Mages and enchanters knew the circles made excellent astronomic observatories by which they could predict when the double suns would shift and bring about the occasional very long winters of eight moons or so. Also for those who possessed the keys, these circles marked power nodes along the world's meridians, gateways to distant places. It was north and west of Hopetown proper where Gaewan sought the remains of such a place, though he had not visited it in more than a couple of riads. Despite the firestorms, the node marked by the circle was still there, and could be used by practicing mystics to enhance their workings of magic or power. The standing stones had long since either toppled or been overgrown by the forest, vines, and trees. Any pathways had been obscured by all manner of undergrowth. Apparently new mages in training had yet to discover the place, for the path was no longer discernible among the briars and seedlings. Encountering a familiar boulder, large and moss-covered, Gawan allowed himself to relax as he guided Flana around it and up the remains of a trail. Ah, the circle is just beyond this stone as they entered the circle she looked around
1: awestruck except from within one would never guess this was anything other than a random outcropping he perched hands on his hips and surveyed the
0: remains two fallen lintels, four cracked and broken uprights and three smaller stones markers no higher than his waist whatever their original purpose it was clear that other than the power node the stone circle had been reduced by time and storms, and forest growth to simply what it appeared to be. The strong, rhythmic throb of power invigorated his senses. Mm, can you feel it? She stopped and lifted her head, eyes moving back and forth as she reached out with her developing sixth sense.
1: I can feel something, yes, but I wouldn't know how to how to use it.
0: Not yet, no. He shut his eyes and inhaled deeply, opening his chakras and filling himself with the energy of the node. It's like the feeling in the air just after a storm has blown through. This should work quite well for my first journey along the meridians. He couldn't help feeling both dread and excitement at the prospect of the new adventure awaiting him. Gods, I wish I didn't have to do this without you, love. She stepped close and looked into his face as he opened his eyes to gaze back at her. Me too. She pulled out a silver vial from where she had tucked it between her sash and breeches.
1: I took the precaution of purchasing one of Trimble's best potions. Oh? For what? In case you were hurt by... by... She shook her head,
0: unable to name any of the multitude frightening images her mind conjured.
1: This is a fresh and very powerful elixir of strength and healing. Then smiled at the small container. Mm. Trimble mixed this one special, just for me, just this morning. I wondered where you went while
0: I talked with Clough after breakfast. (laughs) She sparkled at him as she opened his cloak and slipped the vial into a pocket, then reached her arms around his waist. There you are, Enchanter. Thinking of leaving without bidding us well? How did you find your way here? You are rather like a bear, stumbling through the woods, my friend, leaving a visible trail of bent stems and crushed briars. Eh, I am many things, but not untraceable.
1: You can't have him. He's mine.
0: Clough raised a finger. Not until you are wed. Does this mean you will kiss me fare thee well? In a manner of speaking, yes. He stepped forward, extricated the half-elf from him, then embraced him with a long kiss on his cheek. Stepping back, he looked to Flaina. Your turn. Flana slipped arms back around him and held him for a long moment, kissed him sweetly, then stepped back, knowing the chosen time was at hand. Ablui raised a palm with his blessing. May the light giver keep and protect you, my friend. The priest had come partly because of his growing fondness for the enchanter, partly for his curiosity. He had traveled spiritually among the inner worlds of the higher astral, causal, and mental planes, but had never witnessed someone transfer their outer body to a far distance. The three of them moved back instinctively to the circle's boundary. Don't be long. You need me to pick on you every few days just to keep you in line. I love you too, Clough. On his master's mental command, Glink hopped into his arms, then wormed his way into a favorite pocket of Gaewan's cloak. Fare thee well, my friends, my love. Without another thought, he reached inside his tunic and pulled out the silver medallion. It seemed brighter and shinier than before, and perused the symbols on its surface encrusted with bluestones. Being integrated as part of the power of the transfer key, he did not have to visualize the mystic symbols as he normally would with any other enchantment. He had only to speak the command word at the proper moment that would activate the channels of power and transfer him along the meridians to wherever Paul was, be it foreign where he last saw him or... The strange distorted images he had scried in his crystal bothered him in their chaotic appearance and failure to coalesce into something recognizable. Just where exactly he would be taken, he could not truly begin to guess. Perhaps the royal fortress city as before, but considering Paul's altar form, the boy could have flown to anywhere in the world and probably did fly to lands untouched, and unknown to this civilization. With one last look at Flana's hazel eyes watching him closely, he opened himself to the power center humming in the earth beneath him and focused on the strongest image of Paul he could conjure. Rickessa. A shimmering pillar of mist became visible over the area where Gawan stood. Huh. The last thing Flana saw of her lover was the look of immediate astonishment and pain on his face. Ah. Gawan vanished in a flash of white that winked out suddenly. 2023. Character voices for Episode 1 are performed by Kevin Norris, Darcy Arendelle Hotelling, Richard Hammer, Brenda Louise Thompson, and H. The Great and Powerful. The sextology of novels are available through Amazon.com. On Kindle Books, can be ordered at your favorite bookseller. submit a request to our email. The wonderful music for the Harkin Theater was composed and performed by the ensembles of Evan McDonald, Florian Zavall of Tiny Music, Francesco D'Andrea, Atlas Mason, Sarah Chapman, High Street Music of London, and licensed by PremiumBeat.com. Public domain music performances are licensed on effects and original foley provided by freesound.org mix kit of victoria australia sounddogs.com marcus lloyd craig smith cusp studios and the bbc library this was recorded on location in the universe